Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, t- today is a very, very big day, and I know I say that often, but it's a very big day, and I'm going to tell you why. We are re-entering our series in Acts, which means nothing to some of you because you weren't with us last summer, but we were in 19 weeks last summer in Acts. We're picking back up today, and I'm very, very excited about that. We're going we're to be near the end of Acts chapter 9. We'll get to that here in just a minute. I will say that this series last year shook our church at its foundations. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. I believe that a church can develop what I would call a confession or an altar culture. So we had a lot of people coming to the altar around that time. Uh, part of that, I think, with the, obviously the work of the Holy Spirit, but I told the guys in our Wednesday meeting, I said, I want us to take the song, Rest On Us, and I want us to play it like six, eight weeks in a row. You guys know that song? They still hate me for that. Like they were like the same song, fourth song every single time, but we were getting these wonderful, wonderful responses. And it really started to create a culture that we're seeing in our church now. So it was just an amazing time. And I anticipate that this summer as we go into it is going to be even better. A few things that I want to mention real quickly. If you are newer to the church or if you just want a refresher, go back to the podcast and listen. This is going to take a while. Uh, parts 1 through 19 or anything that you might feel like you missed out on, I will go ahead and tell you that the quality as far as the audio with some of those is not as great as others, just two or three of them, but you can stick through it. It'll, it'll give you a really good background, especially if you're not real familiar with the book of Acts, and um, it'll help you grab the context of this letter or this, this, um, this letter that's written by Luke. But also, uh, we will likely take a break in this series at times. I think we're going to go through about 14 or 15 parts of Acts over this summer, just a little bit less. But if the Holy Spirit leads me to, to speak about something else, as he, as he did uh, last year, then I may switch this up just a little bit, just to give you guys a little bit of a break, and then we'll jump back into Acts again. God is leading this thing, not Matt. Uh, theologian Sarah Heinrich notes a few of the major themes in Acts, and I think this would also be good to bring us a refresher on what we're talking about in the book of Acts. So if you guys will pull those up, the first is boldness. Okay, so the first is boldness. There's this tremendous spirit-led, authentic boldness that we see in the book of Acts, and we have to be bold about our faith. What's interesting is that we're not that bold in our faith in a society is, that is still not that hostile, but this is a really hostile society that's going on during this period of time, yet the early Christians are very, very bold. There is also friendship and Christian community. We start to see the the early stages of the Christian church starting to develop, and we see all this unity and all of this togetherness. So what we're doing with a lot of this series is we're trying to model 
What is going on with the early church? We're better to go, but the early church. Also, the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a predominant theme from Acts 1 all the way through. So this predominant theme of the Holy Spirit is going to be very important and make this work very, very unique. The inclusion of the Gentiles. And we're finally getting there. Because we've been talking mostly about a Jewish audience, but now that we're in Acts 9, and as we get into Acts 10, we're going to start to see what the inclusion of the Gentiles actually looks like. Mission and hospitality, a love for people on the margins, taking care of the poor. This is what the early church was about, and this is what we're going to see. A network of Christian communities, and this means that Christianity is starting to spread. It's starting to break out through church planting and new movements that are being made, but all still working together under the same umbrella. And then, of course, the prevailing word of the Lord. So just to give you a quick where we've been, because it's been a long time, our study through the first nine weeks, 19 weeks, this is what we covered. We discussed the origins of the church, the movement of the Holy Spirit after the prayer in the upper room, and then we know of uh, Pentecost, the movement of the Holy Spirit, the building of Christ-centered community, the appointment of leaders, the ministry of Stephen, the church scattering beyond Jerusalem, and then, of course, the conversion of a man named Saul. He's kind of important. Eventually, he's going to be called Paul, and that's what we're going to get into uh, this part whenever we, as, as we go these next few weeks. So today, we pick up in Acts chapter 9. If you want to turn there, we're going to be toward the end of Acts chapter 9. And if I had to give this message a title, it would be this, empowerment. Is that not a good title for what we're coming back into? Is that not a good start? Empowerment. Apparently, you guys don't think so. All right, empowerment is what we're going to be talking about today. It's a great way to start. I'm just going to say this up front. What we're going to talk about today has the ability to change your life. And the reason it has the ability to change your life is because of your life as a disciple. Whenever we talked early about in our vision series about one of these shifts, it was from religious consumer to disciple maker. Every single person in here that calls themselves a Christian should not only be a Christian by label, but a disciple and a person who makes disciples. So that's something that we're going to talk a lot about over the next 14, 15, 16 weeks, however long it is that we decide to go. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through, 30, uh, through 43, through the end of the chapter. And I want you to really think about where you are in your life. I don't care if you're 12 years old, if you're 112 years old, wherever you may be, it's never too late to get started, okay? So we're going to start in verse 32, a lot of healing that we're going to talk about today. Okay, so as Peter toured the whole region... He went to visit God's holy people in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been confined to bed for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. I feel like he's me at eight years old. He's not only healed, but he's got to make his bed. At once he got up. Everyone who lived in Lydda and Sherid saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. I might go by Tabitha as well. That may have not been nice. Her life overflowed with the good works and compassionate acts on behalf of those in need. So Tabitha is a wonderful person. 
and a great disciple. About that time, though, she became ill that she died. After, after they washed her body and laid her in the upstairs room, since Lydda was near Joppa, it's about 10 miles away, when the disciples heard Peter was there, they sent two people uh, to Peter. They urged, please come right away. Peter went with them. Upon his arrival, he was taken to an upstairs room. All the widows stood beside him, crying as they showed tunics and other clothing Dorcas made while she was alive. All these good deeds that she was doing. Peter sent everyone out of the room. Then he knelt and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and saw Peter and sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. Then he called God's holy people, including the widows, and presented her alive to them. Can you imagine what this looked like? Can you imagine she was dead? We go to get Peter. He's already done this one, once today. Maybe the, the strength is gone. The power is gone. And he does it again. The news, of course, spreads throughout Joppa, and many people put their faith in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with a certain tanner named Simon. So our focus today as we return to Unstoppable Church are two important forms of empowerment. Okay? Two important forms of power, empowerment. One is on the individual level, and one is on the collective level. Two forms of empowerment. One on the individual level, and the other, together with other believers, on the collective level. So first, what we're going to see is the marks of an empowered disciple. That's the individual level. And listen, this is what we strive to be, all right? The marks of an empowered disciple. And then we're going to see the witness of an empowered church. This is what we must strive to be. So I'm going to say this again because the first part just deals with you. But the second part deals with what you contribute to the rest of us that are in here right now. Listen, a church doesn't become empowered by not a dynamic preaching. A church does not become empowered by its facilities. A church does not become empowered by young families. A church has always become empowered by her disciples. So where are you in your relationship with God and his discipleship Something that you're working toward. The marks of an empowered disciple, this is what we strive to be. The witness of an empowered church, this is what we desire to be part of. So first we're going to look at this empowered disciple. And our example today is going to be Peter. Now Peter's come a long way. Some of you know what Peter looked like in the Gospels. All right, Peter has come a long way. He's not been in the story for a while, which you guys wouldn't remember anyway, because it was all the way last summer. But he recognizes this call to scatter because he is currently ministering beyond Jerusalem, which is the central hub as we understand it. Now, there is no question that Peter has come to Lydda and Joppa, around 10 miles apart, for several reasons. But what is highlighted is his healing ministry. That's what this passage is all about. It's about his healing ministry. Two men from Joppa heard he was nearby, so they came to find him. That's what we see in verse 38. Healing is a pretty controversial topic. 
And we have a lot of different people in this room right now and listening online from different theological perspectives. And I can't wait until tonight and in our community groups when we have the opportunity to discuss healing. Again, because you guys come from some very, very different views. Just don't get in a fight or anything like that, okay? We're all on the same team. Now, this is what I want you to understand, a couple sides of this. Healing does happen. Healing happens in the world today. It happens in churches in America, and it happens all over the world where desperate people, we're not real desperate, desperate people are seeking healing. But please hear this, it's not always God's plan to heal. Now let me explain that. It's not always his plan to heal. Sometimes God doesn't heal because he knows you still need the wound. That, that's, another, that's another sermon, all right? But I'm going to get into it for just a little bit, okay? Because that's another sermon. That'll preach. But sometimes he doesn't heal because he knows that we still need the wound. An example of this would be Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul comes and he's like, please heal me. Take this affliction from me. And we don't know exactly what that affliction was. But we, and I think it's kind of cool that we don't. Because we all have these kinds of afflictions. But this affliction is not removed because God understands that he still needs humility out of Paul. Because Paul needs to understand his weakness. On another occasion, Paul says to Timothy, use a little wine because of your stomach for your frequent illnesses. Why didn't he heal him? He probably could have healed him in that exact moment, but he chose not to. Why didn't he just lay hands on him and heal him? Paul also left Trophimus sick at Miletus. He could have healed him on the spot, yet he leaves him sick. Again, sometimes God doesn't heal because he knows you still need the wound. So I want you to think about this. Sometimes the wound remains because through our affliction, we need to experience a different kind of miracle. We need to experience something else that is completely different. So God, I want you to heal me in this way because it's going to be convenient. God says, no, you got to walk through this for a period of time, and then you're going to experience something you never could have imagined. All right? So sometimes God doesn't heal because he knows that we still need the wound. But on the other side of the coin, because some of us believe in healing, we believe in miraculous healing. But on the other side of the coin, we have Christians who do not believe in healing at all. And there are pretty legitimate reasons for this sometimes, and sometimes there are cultural reasons for this. For starters, it's not what they grew up around, right? They were not part of a denomination or, or, or part of a church at all, so this whole healing thing seems a little weird, it seems a little hokey, so they're not really familiar with it, so they don't understand it. A lot of times people also believe that it was for a different time. It was for something that was supposed to have ended at the apostolic age. Or, how about this one? They simply lack the faith. They lack the faith that healing is a reality in the world that we live in today. So what, do I, want to, what I want to encourage on your part is just to wrestle with this. I'm not trying to change your theology right now. I want you to go to Scripture to look at these things very closely. I'm not demanding that you agree with me or anyone else in this church. But what I would recommend very, very highly, because healing is also a very, very broad term, I want you to wrestle with this a little bit and see where you land. And again, tonight we're going to have the opportunity to talk about this, but we are choosing at this church, and this has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. We are choosing. We are making conscious 
effort to believe in the God of the impossible. And if everything about your understanding of God stays down here with your self-help psychology and with scientific reasoning and logic and your day-to-day life, you are never going to experience the miracles of God. And that's what we're talking about today. So I believe that the healing is highlighted for one reason in the context of this story, because I think it's a way of getting the people's attention. Listen, if someone is healed, and then another person is raised from the dead, I don't know about you, but that's going to get my attention. Okay, that's going to get my attention. So it says in verse, 30, uh, verse 42, the news spread throughout Joppa, and many put their faith in the Lord as a result of seeing this. So what are the marks? We said, first, we need to understand the marks of an empowered disciple. And this is my prayer. As I prayed this morning at my house, as I prayed last night, as I walked around the church this morning, in my prayer time, this is what I prayed. That there will be a handful of people in this church that get it. That understand what the call to discipleship really means. Because I will say again, it's not about dynamic, dynamic preaching. You can have a great preacher, but that's not a church. That's a personality cult. You can have wonderful people in your church doing a lot of different things, great music and all these things, but it is the church's disciples that empower the church. And this is the example that Peter is showing us. So there are people in this room, and what I tried to do as I was walking through the back is gauge where you guys have been this week in the difficulties of your marriage, some of you that are struggling with your job, you're struggling with mental health. You're like, God, I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do next. I have all this pressure in high school and college because it's such a non-Christian environment. My prayer today is we looked at boldness, is that you'll not only step forward in boldness, but this is going to require some of you living in sin to step away from your sin. It's going to require that. Listen, if it required it of me, why would it not require it of you? I, I get sick of people thinking that this is easy for me. Oh, well, Matt, you're just a, a, a speaker. Your dad and mom were in church, and you grew up in it, and you probably get some of those genetics from your dad, and you just like church. That's not true. I fought this with everything in me. I ran from it for 12 years. I'm no different than you. I was in the exact same spot. Do you know half the time I get up here, I worry that I'm going to like collapse and fall over because of my anxiety? And you know the sad part about that? I'm not sometimes thinking about Jesus carrying me through. I'm thinking at least Stan Hodges is back there. He's a doctor. He can resuscitate me if I'm up, if I'm up here and something happens to me. A lot of times my faith depends on if Stan's here. This is not easy. This was not a career choice. I had plans. I had a life. I had a good life. Why are you different? God is calling you out in the same way. Well, I've got this situation here. If I give this up, it could mean this for my career. You're carrying nothing of this to eternity. None of it. Empowered disciples make an empowered church. Not somebody who stands up here every single Sunday living out their calling. You're the body. You're the body. Where am I? 
So Peter, Peter, no, that's not where I'm at. Okay, the marks of an empowered disciple. Okay, so the marks of an empowered disciple, first, a life of faith. A life of faith for Peter to have the guts to leave Jerusalem. Do you know what the mega church is like? Do you know how nice it is to be in Jerusalem with all these believers and all these strong followers and to be called out into Joppa and to be called out into Lydda and to have to go to these places? You're not being called towards some consumeristic. The Bible Belt is a disease. It is a disease that has destroyed so many people. Some of you, like some of you are from California. Some of you are from Arizona. And you're thinking, man, everybody around here loves Jesus. No, they don't. They love the thought of going to heaven when they die, not burning in hell. They don't love Jesus. It's easy to fall into it. But it's something more. It's a life of faith that you project yourself into every single day. And if you think for a second, it's easy for someone who calls themselves a leader, a worship leader, a pastor. It's not. The pressure and the difficulty and the hardships, they are all there. We had plans too. A life of faith, but there's also the embodiment of the Spirit. And this is where the healing comes in. The embodiment of the Holy Spirit. You know, my daughter and I, we went and, uh, to, a, to a conference in Atlanta, I didn't plan on mentioning this, but we heard several speakers, and whenever Christine Kane got up there, she preached every man there under the table, and when she got up there, it was like she was so full of the Holy Spirit, I thought, I just came here to learn, not fall under conviction. It was absolutely, the embodiment of the Holy Spirit was just absolutely amazing, and I'm like, God, I don't have to speak like her. I don't have to be like her, but i got to have what she's got. And that is the exact same mentality that you guys have got to have. you got to have the Holy Spirit in you because there is nothing else that's going to change your life. And then also, this missional embrace of the community. Listen, Peter loved the community. Peter could have been looking for a platform. Peter could have been doing all these other things. What does he do? He goes and heals someone, and then he goes and heals someone else, and he is working with that community. What did it say about, um, about Tabitha and all the wonderful things that she was doing? He sees this woman who is also helping widows and doing all these wonderful things. And he's like, I am going to step in, and this woman is going to come to life so she can continue to embrace this community in this way. The life of a disciple, so you have to look at your life, a life of faith, the embodiment of the Spirit, a missional embrace of community. Is that really you? Okay, is that really you in your life today? Being a disciple, please hear me, is more than a daily Bible reading. And some of you may think, well, I only read my Bible once or twice a week, even less. It's more than that. It's more than prayer on your drive to work. You know, the only reason a lot of people pray on their drive to work, and listen, I pray on my drive to work, so I, I'm right there with you, but they pray on their drive to work because they know that other, everything else in their life is so distracted, it's the only time they're actually going to give God that focus. Why do you pray right before you go to bed when you're laying down? Because you don't have anything else at that time to do. Make God a priority. Man, this one hour of prayer time through this thing, it is one of the best things that happened to me. Having to be in that situation where I'm setting that time aside and I'm being with God, except for the time I fell asleep in the middle of the night, but we won't talk about that. I did. I, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, um, it was uh, two to four. It was the last day. 
And I just completely pulled a Peter and John, and I just fell asleep. Maybe I shouldn't have shared that. Anyway, so if you missed your date or if you fell asleep, give yourself just a little bit of grace, okay? So if we're really honest here for just a second, if we're being really honest, this Peter that we're talking about, he scares us to death. All right, when he's healing people, when he's living out the life of a disciple, you don't know why? Because we like the Peter of the Chosen series. All right, that's the Peter that we like, not the one that is out here doing all these wild and crazy things. All right, we like the Peter that saves Jesus whenever the guards come up and he protects Jesus. We like that one, but this Peter, for some people, is just a little bit too holy roller for some people. So whenever Jesus invades and takes over, it must invade your comfort, it must direct your finances, it must inspire your lifestyle. Discipleship to Jesus. A relationship with Jesus changes everything about your life. And you may say, I don't know where to start. There are people in this church that love you. There are people in this church in your community group, if you're part of one. Some people that you know, I don't know where to start. And we will put someone with you that will disciple you so that you can make disciples of other people as you go down the road. So this Peter, this wild Peter, please hear me. I'm not talking about somebody at this moment running around the church. I'm not even talking about spiritual gifts in this moment. I'm talking to people who have a Jesus bumper sticker on the car they can't afford and believe they've got the real thing. That's the people that I'm talking to. I'm talking to those who have fallen into this southern mode of God is good when my sports team wins, or Jesus is good when this happens, but what about when the bottom of your life falls out? Where are you in that moment? Amen. He is still good. So disciples become empowered people. Are you becoming an empowered person? Listen, if you accepted Christ a few years ago, we'll say five years ago, we'll say 10 years ago, we'll say six months ago, and you are still the same person, there is a problem. Because disciples are empowered people. But we also, beyond the marks of the empowered disciple, we see the witness of the empowered church. Witness of where? Witness to the world. The empowered church. Craig Keener, a great scholar, wrote a great commentary on Acts. He said this, While Jerusalem remains the theological and institutional center for the movement, the significance of any center starts decreasing. So what this means is that you've got Jerusalem, and everybody's gathering in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the place. And see, Jerusalem's like the mega church. It's like the big church. You can sneak in, go unnoticed. You can hide those sins deep inside. You can get the good coffee. You can get the good kids' ministry. And then you can fly right out the door unchanged every single Sunday. And it happens all over the world. Okay? But in this moment, what's going on is that this church is starting to spread. The book of Acts and the empowered church helps us understand our vision. And even though I've already said this, I'm going to say it again because it's so important. When God empowers a few disciples, not, not 30, when God empowers a few disciples, the church becomes empowered. Now, what does this empowerment actually look like? What does it look like? Well, for starters, it can look like healing. But it also looks like unity among people who are prone to disagree. 
It looks like a deep and authentic love for others. Let's be honest, some of you do not love other people. And you can name those people. And that is the number one thing people should recognize you for in your life, is your authentic love. It should look like racial reconciliation. It should look like healthy and visible resistance from larger culture. It looks like serving the poor where they are, not where you are, come to us, where they are in their mess. You enter it the same way that Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Come to my church. Maybe Jesus had some of those Easter invite cards. Come to my church. No, Jesus goes to... Listen, guys, this is supposed to be your life. I'm not talking about like dreams in the sky. This is supposed to be the way that you're living. It looks like serving the poor where they are. It looks like bringing joy to children and hope to single mothers. Listen to this. An empowered church should not be threatening to the community. It's good for the community. And you want to know something? And I'm just i not going to get on a soapbox, but I do just have to remember this. Why in Hollywood, why do we always look like the crazy people? Every single movie, you've got like this murder, you've got this creeper, you've got these people doing all these crazy things, and then they go into their house and pray, or have like a cross on the wall. We're always portrayed as the crazy people. And personally, I don't know any of those. No, I do. Okay, I know a few. And you do too, all right? But for the most part, we're not that way. So what makes an empowered church different from other institutions and resources? We know the discipleship. We know that we're supposed to be disciples. But what makes us look different? Most places, most communities have what we would call community centers. A community center is a public location where members of a community tend to gather for group activities, social support if something is going on in their lives, And needs can be met. And listen, these are wonderful places. These are very, very important places. But these places aren't empowered. They're not empowered. And community centers are not trained to deal with the soul. And that is what we are. Well, I'm not trained to deal with the soul. I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Then you need to learn the life and the art of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Please hear this. Empowered churches and an empowered church doesn't help you like a community center. An empowered church heals you. It heals you. This should be the place that people can come to when they're damaged. This should be the place that people can come to when they're hurting. This should be the place that people can come to whenever they need hope. Not this scary, awful place where everybody's going to judge me. Now listen, sin is sin. And we've got to talk about sin. But at the same time, when a person comes in the door, we don't condemn them. We meet them where they are. And we love them. So you know that crowd that says, and, and I was part of this crowd for a long time, so I have a right to say this. They say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And maybe we have some of those individuals in here today. I I respect you. I get it. They'll also say, I love God. I'm just not that crazy about organized religion. All right, it's the exact same thing. And again, maybe that's some of the people in here. Listen, this is their argument, and it's a good one. I don't want to be a part of a hypocritical 
rule following, old fashioned, crazy people, narrow minded, outdated institution. And can I just be really honest? I don't want that either. I don't want that in my life either. So here's my response to this crowd and this crowd that I love. Show them an empowered church full of empowered disciples and they will fall to their knees weeping and repentance and recognize that they have found heaven on earth. It's here. And we got to continue to bring it here. So an empowered church does not exist without empowered disciples. So it's not a situation where a leadership team goes into a room and says, how do we create an empowered church? How do we make our church special? How do we do this? It's it's not what it's about. It's not about strategy. It's about spiritual formation. It's about the development of disciples that are letting go of the plow. Or holding two hands to the plow. So I'm going to say letting go of the past. Holding two hands to the plow and not looking back. That's what a disciple is. So I'm going to take myself off the hook. Say, that's not in my hands. That's in your hands. And for some of you in here today, and I have great conviction about this. It's time for you to let something go. It is time for you to let something go. You know, three to five people, not, not this whole room. We in this moment, we don't need revival in this whole room, though I'd love that to happen. We need three to five people who are like, I'm letting go. And I don't know what that means. And I know I need help. I know that I need my brothers and sisters in this room, some that I don't know very well. You know, the first thing whenever I quit drinking that I told my wife, and I think the only reason she believed me, I was in this dingy hotel and I called her. And for the first time, instead of saying I'm quitting, I said, I need help. And that's where some of you are. You don't just walk away from a sexual relationship. You've been in a long time. Uh, Pornography. um, Childhood wounds. You don't just walk away from some of those things easily sometimes. You need your brothers and sisters around you. But it starts with the kind of confession that we're talking about today. Again, the marks of an empowered disciple. A life of faith. God, I'm turning it over. I know it's not popular in high school. I know I may not fit in. Do you think the Christians in the first century fit in? They did not fit in. How am I going to be different at work? What is this going to look like? And if there's a work you and a church you, you should already recognize that you've got some issues. How am I going to turn this over? God, what do I need to give you? And more importantly, how do I leave it here today and embark on this life of faith? Do I have the guts and the courage to to text Pastor Matt or to text Beth? Or to text someone else when I'm going through a really hard time and I feel the temptations of this old life. How do I, how do I go through this and walk through this? It's a life of faith. And then we need the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this if you just try to be better. You're going to fail over and over again. And that failure's harder every time it happens. You need the Spirit within you and you need to pray for that God fill me with your spirit and you'll see how amazing it is that so many of your desires change
And then you need to care about your community. You need to care about the people around you because those people that you're supposed to love are also the same people that you're supposed to reach. Those are the people that make up your world. So as we re-enter this series, Unstoppable Church, and we call upon empowered disciples, we call upon them because empowered disciples make an empowered church. I've done my best. I can say that. I've done my best. I've tried to be obedient. I've tried to be obedient. I've prayed several times this morning as I do every single Sunday. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Please don't give me something I'm going to have to explain later in a really bizarre, weird way. Let you come out. Not Matt. They don't need to hear from this middle-aged man. They need to hear from you. They don't need to hear from this brokenness. That From this broken vessel, they need to hear truth. And that's all I've got. The question is, are you going to make a mark today? Are you going to say, I've been in this place, but I really don't believe in the God of miracles. He can't heal me. He can't change my situation. It's difficult. It's hard to be bold. But I'm going to start that today. If, and, and I've said this many times about myself when I'm speaking. I will go forward and I will continue to show up if my voice is trembling and I'm scared to death. For some of you, this is your day. This is your day, and you know that because the Holy Spirit, not me, but the Holy Spirit is confirming that in your heart right now. It's time to take another step. It's time to go deeper. I'm, t- I'm telling you, the leadership potential in this room, the relational abilities in this room, the preachers that may be in this room, the amazing gifting that God wants to steward within you. You've not even started your story yet. It's not even began. And God's like, if you can just forsake these things, I want to show you so much more. Most of the time, and I believe this, most of the time our threat is not larger culture or what we often deem as sin. Instead, it's our conditional response to place limits on what God can and wants to do. As a result, and you'll be buried one day, you'll be in the ground or cremated. We live mediocre lives that emphasize the temporary while neglecting the eternal. Don't waste your life. Don't let that be you. Father, we come to you this morning. And Father, we pray for an outpouring. We pray, God, for the courage and the boldness that is so, so hard, Father, to bring up. And God, we ask through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you wash us clean. That you help those that feel unworthy to feel worthy. And God, we are praying for fresh beginnings. God, we are praying that disciples be made. God, minister to our hearts. Father, this may not be just a wife or a husband. It may be a family, God, that needs to make this commitment. It may, just not be, it may not be a, a, just a, a child, but also the brother or the sister of that child that needs to make this commitment together, Father, because we are limited in our gifting, but because we serve an unlimited God...
You can have your way in this room today. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us so that we may leave changed. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.